You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this standalone sermon by Pastor Gary Emery, which is titled, The Choices That Matter. For more info, please visit creekside.org. I'm excited to be able to introduce you to my friend. If you've been at Creekside uh, for a number of years, you are familiar with Gary, uh, Pastor Gary and Joe Neal. And um, uh, they, they lead, uh, they oversee about 120 plus churches uh, in what we call our Pacific region, uh, which is uh, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Utah, Idaho and Hawaii. And uh, so it's, uh, we don't get a lot of time together, but the time that we do get together, it's very privileged and fun and, and wonderful. We went to school together. Uh, you'll be able to tell this. He's a year ahead of me. And uh, he's older. Come on, lighten up. He's my friend. Maybe after this, we'll see. But uh, he is. Uh, him and Joe Neal are just wonderful friends. And whenever we get together with them, uh, for me, it's just a refreshing time where I just get to, uh, we just talk, eat, have fun. And uh, so it's always a joy for me to be able to have him come and share with you. And I'll let him introduce his bride, who's uh, just a wonderful lady, uh, an acclaimed artist. And uh, they're just wonderful people. So allow me to introduce my friend, Pastor Gary Emery. Would you give him a warm welcome? Lord bless you, friend. Lord bless you. Thank you. How's everybody? Hey, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30, or it's on the little note sheet. We'll be there in a little bit. But uh, I got to ask, first of all, let me introduce my my sweetheart. Uh, Next week, this is impossible, but next week we will be celebrating 43 years. She is the wife of my life. I want you to stand up, baby cakes. This is my wife, Jo Neal. So... So uh, she, has, she has many gifts, and uh, uh, Terry mentioned one. Uh, the, the most uh, difficult thing in her life, I'm sure, is putting up with me. I don't know how she's done that for all these years, but uh, amazing lady. And I get, we don't get to travel together very often, so it's really fun for us to be here. And by the way, part of my responsibility, I get to deal with some of the big church messes that uh, happen, and you just need to know there's no messes here, okay? So I feel like I'm on vacation, because I'm just here having fun with you guys. So, uh, and I always feel that way when I come here, just because uh, I know your pastor so well, and uh, I, we wanted to be here yesterday for Mel's service as well, and he is just a incredible encourager to us. And so uh, Pastor Terry was so graciously extended the opportunity for us to be here with you guys today, and it's just so, so fun for us. So uh, just good. Hey, uh, I got a question. How many grandparents in the house? Could you raise your hand? Okay. Isn't this like the greatest gig ever? I mean, it's the best, you know? I mean, we got uh, two, oh, my, my oldest son has, uh, and his wife have two little boys, and uh, it's just so fun to, to watch them. They just, they just moved back from Southern California back up to Central Oregon and is serving in one of our churches there. And, and, and it's just fun to watch our little grandkids, and we're sitting in the house, and they'll just do something, you know, kind of take mom and dad on, kind of challenge them a little bit. And we just smile and look at each other because we're thinking... <laughs> 
we've already raised our kids, man. It's just great. So I took the boys fishing a while back, and they managed to get their lines tangled up with a couple other guys, guys that were actually catching fish. And so after a few uh, stares and a couple uh, interesting hand gestures, we decided that we should probably leave. And so we did. And so I just thought, well, we can't make this be a horrible day all the way around. So I went and got a whole bunch of sugar stuff, just all can every type of sugar they had in the store and candy, every candy I could give them. Even, we even bought some cotton candy. And I filled them up with it. Then I took them to this merry-go-round thing that they want to do. And they, they went around and around in the hurl-a-whirl. And then they got into the car. And, uh, well, I cleaned it up. It was okay. It wasn't a big deal. But, uh, <laughs> but that's kind of what we do with grandparents. It's just a really fun, fun gig. Uh, being a parent was great, too, though. And, uh, it, but it's just a lot of work. It's funny. Uh, last night, uh, Terry and Trina and Julie and I were just sitting around talking, kind of looking back on our life and looking today and, and in the future. And, and, you know, we have a kind of an interest, share some interesting aspects of our family life because in both their family and our family, adoption is a, a big part of that. And uh, it, it's interesting to me uh, to, it, it, like we have, two, we have two sons. I mentioned the first son, he's the oldest one, and he came to us in the normal, in the normal typical way. Janelle gave birth to him. And, uh, and then we tried to have more kids, we couldn't have any more kids. And so there was this long gap where we were trying to figure out what's wrong. And we tried a couple of adoptions. They fell through at the last minute and broke my wife's heart. And so I, we just kind of gave up. Said, okay, God, thank you. Got one great kid. And then God literally put this little uh, baby opportunity in our house, in our, in our home, and we uh, in our lap. And so we, we went to the hospital. We got a name him when he was born. And, and uh, so Forrest came to us 10 years after his older brother. And so uh, we've got to enjoy, kind of have an ongoing experiment, because really isn't that what family's all about? It's just this, kind of this big uh, big uh, experiment that kind of got out of control at some point, right? So, so we've, got, we've got the whole uh, uh, nature and nurture debate right there in our home. You know, how, how many had a psychology class and remember the nature-nurture debate? They still talk about it. And the basis of it is, are you more a product of your genetic design, the chromosomes you got from mom and dad? Are you more a product of that, which is nature, or are you more a product of the environment, the way you were raised, the personalities, the, 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 the encouragements, the discipline, all these things in the environment? Are you more a product of nurture? And this debate's been going on for a long time. And we've had the opportunity to watch this experiment right in front of us, having one guy from each. And one thing that was kind of fun for us is a in the Emory gene pool, this would be my grandfather, my dad, uh, myself, and, and my kid, you know, all the way through, uh, my brother, we, we have uh, this incredible uh, sports gene. Our particular strain of that gene is that like, we're really good at watching sports on TV. I mean, we're really good. So, so I remember when, when little Corey, you know, and, he, and he's really gifted in music. He has all these things. It's awesome. But, but when he was little, you know, you all go out for sports. So he went out for his first organized sporting event, kids' sports basketball. And he gets out there, and he's lanky and uncoordinated and doesn't see real good. And, so he, so, and he had the Emory gene deficit. Uh, and so he, he, he really loved being on the bench. 
He really did. He, two things that mattered to him was he liked the uniforms and he liked the snacks at halftime. Okay, that was his thing. But he, he really felt comfortable. Well, let's get the old pa- coach, let me in. Fort Corey never said that. They never said, let me in. But because it's kids' sports, you have to let everybody play. And so Corey would get in and he didn't really, because what he, so what he would do so he could get removed from the game as quickly as possible is if the, if the ball would ever be thrown to him, uh, that as soon as he get it, he would just throw it out of bounds as quick as he could. You know, <laughs> you know. And sometimes he'd try to make it look like an accident, but that, and that, was a, that was a good play for him. But then he'd just throw it out of bounds, you know. And that was the whole season. And, you know, we would go to be supportive and say, that's okay, Corey, you, you get it next time. I'm thinking, he's never going to get it, you know. <laughs> just, so the last, the last game of the season, somehow he held the ball long enough to get fouled, okay. And he goes to the free, he listen, this kid's never, he's never shot the ball in one game ever. And now everybody's looking at him, and he's at the free throw line. And I said, oh, God. (laughs) Just once. I just, (laughs) he threw that ball up. And to the shock of everyone, most of all him, he made a free throw. I mean, everybody went wild on our side because they all knew, you know, and we're, we're jumping up. I ran out on the court, gave him a hug. It was like, it like he had shot the winning big, you know, half-court shot to win the championship. That's just, that was the way life happened for us. And then 10 years later, Forrest comes along. Now, remember, Forrest comes from a different gene pool, okay? So we don't really know what to expect. He gets to his first game, it was a soccer game, and within... Five minutes, this kid has scored three goals. <laughs> Dude, I am going nuts. I am jumping up and down. I, I can't, I got a lot of pent up stuff in me from all those years from before. I'm going nuts over here. I look at all these other chump dads. Their, their kid ain't scoring three goals. <laughs> I know it's not very Christian, but it felt good. <laughs> yeah. but, so, but it's the gene, it, it, it's, it's the nature nurture thing. And I've asked myself, uh, not just about my kids, but people in general, why is it that, that, that two people, sometimes raised in the same home, uh, can grow up, and one uh, uh, grows up living a very healthy, productive, fruitful, effective life, and the other one uh, has a very, very different story, and, and, and it works in a very, very different way. Is it nature or is it nurture? I just turned 62. Let me tell you what I believe at age 62. Uh, Maybe I'll see it different in the future. I don't think so, but maybe I will. I don't believe it's either one. I believe it's the choices that you make in life that determine what's going to happen with you. Now, nature and nurture affect those choices. They may have an impact on how you go about making the choices, but it's the choices themselves that make a difference. Because I have watched people that come from extraordinarily difficult situations, and they had everything going against them in both the genetic world and in the nurture world, but somehow they come out the other end, and they're doing very well. And they're living a good, healthy, strong life. And you look back, and it's choices that they make. I am convinced that the choices that you make and choices that I make, the choices that that we make as a church, the choices that are happening in our nation, all these things, these choices are what make the difference. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 because Moses had some important things to say about choices. Now, the context of this is this is at the end of of Moses' life. 
You know his story. You know, he was the guy that was uh, called by God to take the Israelites, about a million of them, by the way, out of bondage where they'd been slaves in Egypt, out of bondage and into the Holy Land. It was a trip that should have taken about 40 days walking. It was, it was a long ways, but it should have taken about 40. Instead, it took 40 years because when it was time to go in, we'll talk about this a little bit later, when it was time to go into the promised land, people uh, made a, a choice of disbelief. And so they, that generation did circles in the sand for an entire 40 years. And at the end of that, a new generation has come up and Moses is at the end of his life, and he's, he's the, word, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is actually the retelling of the law to a new generation. The first generation, they saw all the stuff. They saw the, the, the Red Sea open. They saw the, the, the manna coming down from heaven. They, they saw them being uh, guided by, uh, by the cloud by day and the fire at night. They saw all of those miracles. They were there when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. They saw everything. But now there's a generation that's coming up that hadn't seen all those things, and they're about to go into a new phase of life. And Moses understand that, listen, each generation needs to hear from God, right? So he's retelling the law to a new generation, and he gives them a word about the power of the choices that they will make. It's on your sheet. Follow along as I read it. Moses says, see, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you'll certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you. In other words, this is a big moment. He says, and I have set before you, here it is, life and death, blessings and cursings. He says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give uh, to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was saying, you have this opportunity. There are decisions that you need to make. These are, these are our, 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 our life decisions, life and death. And nobody can make those decisions for you. Hey, listen, God doesn't make our decisions for us. Do you understand that? He created us. In fact, this is really what makes us in the image of God. He created us with that same capacity to make decisions that he had, but it's also what makes us uniquely human, our ability to make decisions. He put that into us, and he has things for us that we have to decide. He, he may influence, he may, he may draw us, he may help us, but we have to make the decisions. Listen, I've learned, even when I abdicate some decisions in my life to others, well, I can't decide, you decide. Guess what? I made the choice to abdicate. So even then, it's still my my choice. And then I get to choose, but I get to live within the, the, the consequences of those actions. But Moses is here in this place, and they're standing on the precipice of going into the promised land. He doesn't get to take them in. But these people are going to go out 
and there's a new moment, a new season for these folks. They have a new leader, Joshua, and he's going to take this younger group into Canaan and into their future. But before they go in, they need to hear the law told to them one more time. One more time, Moses the lawgiver speaks, and this ends up being Moses' last words. In this retelling, the message is absolutely clear. Your life is in your hands. You're at an intersection. One road is marked life. The other road is marked death. You choose. Nobody can choose for you. You choose. And a little later, Joshua now is their, their leader. Moses is dead. And they're getting ready to go to the promised land. And life is going to change. You know, they, they, this is kind of strange for us to understand. Um, you, you know, we all, the word normal is a reference word. You know, what they experienced, that was normal life. These people all grow up, and this was normal for them to live in tents and to wander around in the desert and kind of had this family, extended family, communal type thing. It was just, a, it was, it was as unusual to everybody else, but it was very normal to them. Well, Joshua knows that they're going to go into the promised land. And on the other side of the walls of Jericho, it's a different type of life. There are battles to be fought. They're going to live in, in houses rather than in tents. So the, the family units are kind of going to go like this. There is uh, more uh, privacy, more individuality. There's also more temptations because there's going to be these gods around them that they could be get seduced into to following after those. And Joshua says in 24, Joshua 24, 14 and 15, he says, choose for this day whom you're going to serve. He says, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua is worried that that these people will now be in uh, the promised land and they will move forward in their independence, but they'll actually move backward in their freedom. The word independence and freedom are very different words. They sound the same. Sometimes people use them interchangeably. We should not. The word independence literally means doing what you want to do. Okay? Doing what you want to do. But freedom, real freedom, is doing what is right and doing what is good. Joshua knew that when they would go into this land that they're going to possess, yeah, they'd have more independence. But the question is, are they going to make decisions that will keep them moving on a path of genuine freedom, of doing the right thing? Paul said, and uh, I think in the book of Romans, he says, he says, you've been called to liberty or freedom. He says, but don't use that liberty as an occasion of the flesh. Instead, serve one another. You can do good things or bad things. You can take and use your choices to put you in a good place or take you in a very difficult place. One of the things that we get to do, uh, my office is right next to the Bible college that, that uh, was started years ago through uh, one of our churches and through our region. And so we're right there. And then my wife and I live right here. And we're literally like share a common border with, uh, with the college. And we, so we have kids in our house all the time. We're involved in stuff. I'm up there a lot and work with the students. And it's very interesting for me to watch these young men and young women. And some of them make some, some pretty foolish choices that they have to live with for a while, but most of them make these incredible choices. And you can just see, you can just see the trajectory of their life because in this fairly brief window, they're making these incredible choices that, that set them up in a good way for the things that are ahead. Joshua is concerned about for that people. So he said, listen, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Let's decide it now. Let's just, this was kind of like the altar call moment, I guess. 
you got to choose who you're going to serve. Then he says this, and I love this. He says, but if you want to know, I said, I'm not neutral on this. I'm not like democratic, whatever. He says this, he says, but for me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. I've made my decision. He says, it's a decision about my life. It's a decision about my home. It's a decision about how my life, my home will affect others. So as we move to the second half of this and hopefully close this down fairly soon, um, I want to talk to you about the choices that matter. Choices that matter. Now, you might think these would be questions like, who are you going to marry? Whether you're going to marry, who are you going to marry? Um, are you going to go on to college? What are you going to study? Are you going to go on to grad school? What occupation will you get? Where are you, where are you going to live? All those kinds of decisions. And those are very, very important. I'm not dismissing that. But what I want to talk to you today is deeper than that. Because what I want to share with you is, is, is the found, it's the bedrock foundation inside of us that affects how we make all those other decisions. And so I want to encourage you today uh, to think about six choices, six choices that matter in life. Jot these down. Number one, the no victim choice. The no victim choice. This is the decision to not let bad things that happen to you determine what's gonna, how you're going to operate in life. Listen. Unexpected things that you didn't plan for or want are going to happen. You can just count on that, okay? So the question is not whether those things happen or not, but how do you respond to it? You know, we just talked about this story of, of, of Moses and Joshua. See, the generation before, within like those 40 days or whatever it was, they were ready to go into the promised land with Moses, a generation before. And, and Moses sent in 12 spies, and they had a mission to go in and see the fruitfulness of the land and perhaps go in and see the best way for us to you know, move in for the conquering. And so they, they go in at 12 spies, and somewhere along the line, the group changed the mission. They changed it from... Uh, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, to whether or not we should go in. Because they came back and reported to Moses, and 10 of them said this. It's, yeah, it's all beautiful and all that, but there are giants here. This place is well fortified. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. We, you know, we, 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 Moses, you've led us into a trap. There's no way on earth we can do this. And two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, you know, and, and they saw everything that these people saw. Everything went into the same, visually they saw it all, but they processed it different because they said, yeah, listen, all that's true, but what's also true is we have a mighty God that's done all these things, and the God who took us out can take us in. See, these, these ten, they were missing the most important fact. It was a fact of faith, and that was that God was going to get them through this. These people saw everything in a victim mindset. These two saw it in a no-victim way. Listen, I understand hurt. I understand pain. I've, like you, you know, listen, you don't get through life here without going through some really painful things, Okay? That's just, that's just life. But there is a point at which we need to allow God to heal our lives lest we start thinking the way victims think and start processing our life 
the way the ten processed theirs. Joshua and Caleb saw the same thing, but they made a no victim choice. They said, God will give us into their hands. People, listen, if you're prone toward a victim, uh, I was, again, I work with pastors and sometimes I have to do some of the unfun stuff. We had a pastor in one of our churches that, that he, every, every message he would give, every way he related to people was always in the, from a victimology standpoint. He's talking about his own victimhood and he would try to get people to empathize or sympathize and it, and it was just wrong. It was, it was, it, and it was affecting everything about the church. And I finally said to him, listen, it said, you can, do, you, you, you can be a victim or you can be a leader, but you can't do both. You need to make up your mind. What are you going to do? Well, listen, God either heals or he doesn't. You've been in this victim mindset for 20 years. It's time for change. You say, well, that sounds kind of harsh. No, I'll tell you what's harsh. What's harsh is encouraging him to continue to think in victimology terms. Okay. Choice number one, make the no victim choice. I know people, it's like they have a doctorate degree in excusiology, you know. Make the listen. I've I've heard people lately too. uh, They look around what's going on in our culture right now, and and they oh no, what are we going to do? And they see the things that are are really coming against the church, and there's all these things that have happened the last few years, and it's like how on earth? And and we can, if we're not careful, we can get uh, get a victim mindset toward the culture that we're called to reach. And the reality is, is if you study history at all, the best times for the body of Christ. The best times for the church that's on mission with the Lord. The most effective times is when the culture is not going with them, but sometimes the culture is going against them. That's when the great changes have happened. The great move. We, listen, we saw that in the, in the late 1960s. Some of us that were, are older, okay? We, listen, this, it was a very turbulent time then, but you know what happened? God raised up some young men and young women, and there was something called the Jesus Movement that was probably the last big revival across our nation that literally changed a generation of people and brought them to Christ. See, every time the enemy thinks he's got this thing, I'll tell you what, that's when God's people stand up. Unless they want to be victims, that's when God's people stand up and things begin to change. And I believe, uh, I feel like I'm preaching now. <laughs> Listen, I believe God has some incredible things for the church in these days. I think God's calling us back to our real mission. And it's not a political one. It's a spiritual one. It's one man, one woman, one boy, one girl the rest of our lives. I'm getting ahead, I'm getting behind, I'm getting off track. But I'm having fun, so it's all good. No victim choice. Number two, the commitment choice. The commitment choice. You know, um, Terry and Trina uh, uh, gave us a, a, a very, very uh, strong uh, addictive behavior uh, about 10 years ago. We have, my wife and I have become survivor watchers, Okay. <laughs> And I'm so glad God invented a DVR so that if I'm traveling or I miss something, then I can come home and watch. I'm sure that's why he did it, so I can come and watch Survivor. We just love the show, you know, and uh, we talk about it from time to time. But, uh, you know, I remember this one show, and they always do this if you watch Survivor. They always have one, one challenge kind of like this. But this one challenge is very simple. There were like six posts that stood about this far off uh, above the water. And these six contestants, all they had to do was stand on that post with a, a, a surface about that size, and they would just stand there. And all it was was the last person to fall off or to jump off, the last person standing wins the challenge. 
Didn't take a lot of strategy, you know. Didn't take a brilliant mind. Didn't take certain talents or gifts. It took one thing, and that was the ability to stand longer than anyone else. And it came down to the tenacity inside of a person. I have watched with amazement. You know, we talk about people that live a, a fruitful life. And, and forgive me, I, I, you know, I, I mainly work with pastors, so some of my illustrations might be that way. But I'm thinking of a pastor that I know very, very well. He has a number of, of gifts. But the one thing that he has that, that has changed his, his life and his family and, and his church is that he's just been able to stand and weather stuff year after year and go through tough times. And you know, at the end of the day, there's this incredible reward because you just stood. You just did didn't give up. And that's true in all phases of life. That's why I like what Paul said in the book of Ephesians when he, he goes through the armor of God, you know, all the different things that we learned in Sunday school. And then he gets to the end of it and he says, now, having all things to stand, stand. That's all I mean. It's just like having done everything to stand, Stand. That's it. Did you just got to stand? What, try, try. No, no, just stand. Just, just be committed. Just stay there. Be, be a person who lives their life with a commitment choice. If you do, you will outlive most of the problems you face in life. Live the commitment choice. Number three, live the values choice. Knowing who you are and what you stand for. Listen, most people don't know who they are when they're young. As you get older, you kind of hopefully you start figuring that out. But people need to know who they are, how they're put together, what they will go to the wall for, what they will fight for. It's interesting in, in, in uh, marriage and stuff, you, you know, we, we usually fight over stuff that doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, like the other day, my wife and I were uh, uh, going someplace and and we were kind of, you know, tug of war. Go back. We, we met in a debate class, okay? So I'm just telling you, all right? So we go back, and we're going back and forth, back and forth. And I'm tired. And I said to her, I said, Shani, come on. She says, you know what? I'm too tired to argue, but I'm too stubborn to give up. So let's wait and do this later, you know? <laughs> we, we argue over things that really don't matter, but there's some things that really, really, really do. There's some things that you need to fight, not against each other. There's some things you need to contend or fight for. It's a values choice. Too many people are like politicians who, who conduct a poll before they announce what their, what their view is on a particular situation. How do you do that if you're a real human being, if you're a real man, if you're a real woman? How do you get other people to tell you what you believe? How do you do that? I've never understood that. A real man, a real woman has values that are rooted in God's word and we don't waver whether people are throwing roses or tomatoes. It doesn't mean that you're unteachable, but it, it means in matters of conscience, you are unbendable. That's the kind of, of steel that God puts in the, sign, in the spine of someone who lives a commitment choice or values choice. I love the scripture that says in Proverbs, it says, the man who walks in integrity lives, rests securely. 
You rest securely, not because you got things easy. I'll tell you something. You live according to the values that God's placed in your life. You will have some resistance. You'll have to make some difficult decisions. And you won't always be popular and well-liked. You just, just need to know that. But you can rest. I mean, what this means, you can, you can lay on the bed at night and you can rest because you know before God, all the way down inside of you, you know that you sought to do the right thing for the right reasons. And so, yes, you can sleep because your conscience is clear. That's what it means to live according to values. Uh, one Sunday morning, while preaching on the theme, Love Thy Enemies, the late uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. told his congregation, and I'm going to read this. He said these words. He says, the fact is, some people will not like you because of, uh, not because of something that you have done to them, but they just won't like you. Some people aren't going to like the way you walk. Some people aren't going to like the way you talk. Some people aren't going to like you because, because you can do your job better than they can do theirs. Some people aren't going to like you because, because other people like you and because you're popular and because you're well-liked, they're not going to like you. Some people aren't going to like you because your hair is a little shorter than theirs or your hair is a little longer than theirs. And some are going to dislike you, not because of something that you've done to them, but just because of the various, various jealous reactions and other reactions so prevalent in human nature. Living according to the values of your life means that you are willing to be unpopular when you, when you have to be. You're not, you don't want that. But you're not in this for the applause of anyone except one, capital O. Live for the applause of one. The values choice. Number four, the action choice. The action choice. Just do something. Okay, okay I have a little math question for you. By the way, Thinking back in school, we always had math problems. How many had math problems in school? Do they, do they, still, do they still call them math problems? I don't understand. We don't, listen, we don't have English problems. We don't have science problems. But we have math problems. No wonder so many of us grew up hating math, okay? You know, but we had, let me give you a little math problem, okay? Three frogs sat on a lily pad. One decided to jump off. How many frogs are still on the lily pad? The answer is three. Because there's a big difference between deciding to do something and doing it. There are a lot of people who make a lot of decisions and never execute them. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. It's kind of a farming um, metaphor, but I like it. He says, he said, he who watches the wind will never sow. Think of the way they would, you know, scatter their seed. They would sow. You, you watch the wind. You're never going to find perfect conditions. Too windy today, you know. Oh, the roof, the roof is leaking horribly. Can't go up and fix the roof today. Oh, hey, today, they, they, look, it's not leaking at all. Must not, must not need repair, you know. <laughs> People waiting. I talk to young people sometimes. Well, they're waiting for the right position. They're waiting for, you know, the right situation. They're waiting for somebody to come and offer them a job. <laughs> Rather than just, just doing it. Just get out there and make it happen. Just do something. Quit waiting. for. Sometimes, we're, oh, I'm just waiting on God. Listen, I think sometimes God is waiting on us. He's already told us what to do. And he's not going to do our stuff for him. He'll do his stuff, 
Live with a bias toward action. You know, I know there's times to wait. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about making foolish, rash decisions. But what I'm going to say to you is that I think the most wasteful life of all is the one where people had dreams and visions and desires and they never actually got off the lily pad. Make the action choice. Get that dream that God, it's not too late. Listen, it's not too late. What's that dream that God put in you? You want to you wanna go to your grave someday thinking, man, I just wish I, I, I would have done this. Listen, God put stuff in us. Let's take the action choice. Number five, the right spirit choice. The right spirit choice. You know, there's a very familiar passage in Psalms 51, verse 10. Uh, the context is critical because it's right after David had sinned with Bathsheba. Actually, a little later than that because he tried to cover it up for quite a while. He not, didn't just kill Bathsheba, but he, he, uh, he, he didn't, didn't just um, uh, uh, commit adultery with Bathsheba, but he, he killed uh, or managed to arrange for the killing of, of Bathsheba's wife to try to cover up his sin. He did all these horrible things, and one day he gets confronted by his sin. And he starts out by saying, Created me a clean heart, God, I have sinned. Forgive me. But then he says, And renew a right spirit within me. You know, the first part is about sin, the second part is about our attitudes and our conscience. Think about all the things that, that, you know, sometimes we look at these things like what happened to David, or maybe you see something happen, some, somebody has a big story, and oh, it's like, how did that, how did that happen? And we, we focus on the moment. Well, listen, I'll tell you what, those things when they happen, they've been brewing for a long time. Okay? You have to go through a series of things. I, I work with, with individuals who have gone through these things, both as a pastor and what I do now. And there's a process. And what's going on all the time is you are violating things in your conscience. You are violating things in your spirit to, when you get to the point where you will publicly take that step that really destroys everything. But really, it, the, the infection has been going on for a long time inside of you. One of the things I didn't know, I just I read the Bible for all my life, you know, but I'd never noticed until just a while ago that... that one of the interesting things was that Bathsheba's grandfather, she, he was like one of David's most trusted senior advisors. David looked to him like another dad in his life. And he violates his grandfather. You see all the stuff that was destroyed, the things that were damaged? Listen, we don't just need our sins forgiven but we got to ask God to help us keep a right spirit. Sometimes it's not processing hurts in a healthy way. I have a good friend that uh, I've known since high school. He uh, became a pastor and actually pastored a church not too far from here. And it was going fantastic. It was growing. They were reaching people. It was, it was wonderful. I remember going down to visit a few times. And it was just awesome. It was great. And one day, uh, there was a faction that kind of rose up, and a guy uh, took about a third of the people, left the church, and, and now listen, that's painful. I'm going to tell you, that is painful, you know, because when you're a shepherd, you really love people. That's really, really hard. But my friend carried the hurt and the pain of that in his spirit, 
in such a way that it dogged him the rest of his ministry life. He just retired. And I watched his life, and not, not in a critical way, because I love the guy, but after he left there, he went to another church, and, and you could see it. He carried the, the same suspicion and cynicism and, and distrust of people because he knew somebody was going to hurt, somebody was going to do something wrong. And you know, when you start living your life that way, you become a different person. We've got to keep a right spirit. We don't have control over things that happen to us, but we do have total control of the way that we choose to respond. Oh, God, help us. Keep, keep a right spirit in these kinds of challenges. Number six, last one. And maybe the, those are going to help us close the service in music if they would just come. Um, the last choice is the cause choice. The cause choice. I love the story of... Uh, David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 16, or 1 Samuel 17. I, and I love it probably for kind of an odd reason. I was a little boy that grew up in church. How many, how many people actually grew up going to church, okay? Because I did. And so I was a little boy in, in Sunday school, and uh, I was so glad that God included stories like this about battles, about life and death, about risk, about heroism, as a, now, I don't know how this is for girls I, I, or for ladies. I don't know. I, I really don't. But I know for me, as a, as a young kid growing up, I needed to see those kind of stories because I'm just going to tell it the way it was, and maybe it's different here, but in, in my church, all of the teachers I had, and God bless every one of them, they're wonderful people, but every one of them were, were women. And that's fine. I have nothing against that. But there was something that was starting to stir in me as an eight-year-old boy that basically was saying things like, you know, maybe this, maybe this Christianity stuff, this church, maybe this is really more for girls, you know. But when these kind of stories would be told, I understood that there was stuff that was big and massive and that were part of a much bigger cause. See, David came on the scene that day, sent by his father. Hey, take some provisions up to your brothers. But his real motivation was to get a report on how things were going and bring it back to him so he could know. So David goes there. You know the story. And, and, and David sees this sight he doesn't expect to see. All of his brothers and the armies of, of Israel are lined up on one side of this valley. And, and the Philistines are on another valley. And right in the middle, there's one person, this, this big giant. And he's taunting them. He's saying, you know, bring, bring someone. Rather than all of us fight, you bring uh, your best fighter here and we'll fight one-on-one. -on -one. And whoever wins, that's, that's who gets the, the, the victory for the whole, for the whole armies. And it paralyzed, paralyzed Saul the king. It paralyzed uh, all of David's brothers. It paralyzed the army of God. And they were just, they couldn't do anything. David came on the scene and he saw everything that everybody else saw. But he processed it in a different way. It bothered him. It bothered him way down inside that this was allowed to go on. And he goes to his brother and says, what's the deal? We can't, this, guy is, this guy is saying horrible things about the people of God, and he's saying horrible things about our God. How, why are we letting this happen? And David's brothers, who probably were embarrassed by their own cowardice, they say to their brother, just, just shut up. Go back to the, the sheepfold. You, you know, what do you have to do? And David asked this question, and I close with this. He said this, is there not a cause? 
Isn't there something that's at stake here? Do, do, do you see what's going on? Doesn't, does any of this matter? I mean, are we just okay with all of this? Is that something stood up inside of him that apparently sat down in everybody else? And you know the story, how he goes and he takes on that giant. Because he said this, is, you know what, I'm just a kid, but I'll tell you what, I know the God who helped me kill the lion and the bear, and this guy is next. It's worth it. It's worth going. He probably didn't say it, but he probably said, you know what, some things are even worth dying for. There was a cause. It mattered. God loved this planet and the people on it so much that he sent Jesus Christ to the earth who died on a cross and, and shed his blood to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind for all of those who would accept his gift of forgiveness. And then he takes the whole plan and he leaves it in the hands of 11 guys who had kind of proven themselves to be a little shaky. And by extension, he's given that cause to all of us. All of us. It's the cause with the capital C. It's eternal. It's one boy, one girl, one man, one woman at a time. It's our neighbors, it's our friends, it's the people that we work with. And by the way, that cause is not for you know, the quote-unquote professional dudes that do this stuff for a living, you know. That's the cause that is in all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And in your occupational pursuits, and God, God bless you. I'm so thankful for the people who serve in this community in so many different ways. But understand this, maybe God's greatest design in having you in those places is not because you could get a promotion with a better job or because it fits your gifts and talents. All that's wonderful and good and has its place. But maybe it's just that there are going to be people that are around you that you will meet and you will come to care about and love and pray for. And maybe God will use you to be the person who shares Christ with them or prays with them or, or maybe invites them to this wonderful church where they can hear about the life of God. There's eternal purposes at stake. And as you make decisions in life, think about the cause. Would you stand with me, please? You know, you go through cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. Noah knew the cause. And he kept, he kept hammering away while his neighbors laughed at him. Abraham knew the cause, and he, he went going even not knowing. Gideon knew the cause when he tore down his father's idols. Daniel knew the cause when he refused to, to eat the king's meat in exile. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew the cause when they refused to bow down, and they would go into the fiery furnace. The disciples knew the cause and committed their lives to it. And Stephen, in every martyr sense, including those who are being martyred today. Did you know that there are more martyrs today than at any time in human history? Those martyrs, they know the cause. Do you bow your heads with me? Pastor Terry, I want you to come and, and pray for us. But before you do that, I would like to pray for this congregation. I, listen, we live in tremendous times, and they are, they're incredible. 
in terms of the challenges, but they're also incredible for the opportunities if we will see it through the eyes of faith. And I'm so thankful for you, your pastors, for this wonderful church. I've told many people, if I lived right here, this is where we would go. This would be it. This would be right here. Because of the love and the health and the concern and the outreach and all that you do, so much shows the heart of God. Father, I bless this wonderful congregation in the name of Jesus, and I bless their pastors. Lord, as we go through life and we make decisions, Lord, help, having you help us, Lord, help us to make the no-victim choice. Help us to make the commitment choice. Help us to make the values choice. Lord, help us to make the action choice. Help us to make the, uh, the right spirit choice. And help us never to forget the cause that we're all called.